Thank you for joining me in my town. All material herein under copyright. Season 1, Podcast 5. He's a character. What does that even mean? Is he vibrant, over the top, bigger than life? Certainly many characters lift off the pages and become memorable. That's what we strive for. If they spill onto the page and congeal, its heartbeat weak, faltering, ceased, then we failed. Sometimes it's a single action that defines a character, but only because he was, before that, unremarkable. But allow them to trip and fall, or to cling like a wet noodle before peeling itself off the wall and rising to the challenge, then we've done something. So, how do we get there? People are annoying. They're compassionate and fickle, judgmental, brisk, as soft and malleable as Play-Doh. Some cling to self-righteousness until their fingernails peel off. They hold purity and high regard, even as it tarnishes over time or through exposure to the harsh elements of life. That bad relationship or isolation so complete, they forget even the sound of their own voice. People are complex and never just one thing or three things or a dozen things. That shriveled up math teacher who brought the class to attention by wrapping a baseball bat on a desk was not just strict or mean. He was lonely, acidic, but gentle with the Holland Lops he kept as pets and apologetic to the mailman who had to carry the heavy canisters of oxygen to the doorstep every other Tuesday. And the curvaceous, talkative girl in history class or at the grocery register or sitting two rows ahead of you in the 747 is also a wizard with numbers, snaps when a borrowed pencil is not returned, sleeps past her alarm clock, and rides her bike to work, flipping the bird at every jackass who swerves into the bike lane, makes unannounced turns ahead of her, or plows through puddles that fall upon her like a waterfall. Some have families who are intrusive or distant, dysfunctional almost always, or no families at all. They have let dreams slip through their fingers and collected dust in their pockets. They scale mountains, whether thrill-seeking or because life presented them with life-changing circumstances. And some sit in quiet rooms, arranging stamps carefully into cellophane-protected pages, or leave the house for the first time in months or years, and the world around them stirs like a kaleidoscope, the pieces sharp, piercing the senses so that her ears pop or his eyes tear, considering all the time they have lost or how frightening it is to belong. Yes, people are complex. They are a mix of many things, and so your characters need to be too. This week during my walks, I passed many people, runners and dog walkers, bikers and landscapers and a stucco crew. Most returned my wave, many smiled, one or two looked right through me. You see, I decided a few years ago that I have to bust out of my introverted, shy away from social interaction tendencies and at least smile at people as I pass them by whether in the halls at work, the aisles at the grocery store, or on the sidewalk as I put in my cardio. Everyone loves a smile, right? A cheery greeting? Wrong, it turns out. But does that wound me when they don't return in kind? Well, I've survived, haven't I? And only sometimes do I mumble inside my head, what's up yours, buddy? But I don't do it for myself. I hope a wave lifts someone's mood, even for a brief moment. Seconds later, I'm forgotten. But maybe not that moment of levity, of acknowledgement, where the burdens of the day felt lighter, 
Maybe they take that gem with them into their next encounter, and that goes better than they thought it would. There's no better word to start a new anything than hello. The outcomes on this day, the runners wave and smile, the gardeners don't, the bikers zip by without acknowledgement, dog walkers pause long enough to say hello. But the stucco crew is gregarious, masked and from 20 feet away. They are three men of varied stature, wearing long sleeves and pants in this 90 degree weather. They've taken a month off. Their wives have grown tired of them, pushed them out the door. They are grateful for work, for the full fronds and the palm trees under which they drink from a cooler jug of Gatorade. You want stucco done, one asks. We do. We were seeking estimates before everything shut down. One advances with a business card in hand, but I step back. Name a number, I say as I pull my iPhone from my jog pouch and open it up. 58,000 people live in my town since last count in 2018. New construction, a ring of two-story homes surrounding ranch houses that have been here since 1961 have changed this. While they've been building up, they've been trimming plot sizes. HOAs keep the landscape picture perfect with bird of paradise and fire poker adding vibrant color. But this development has its back to wilderness, and occasionally when the wind blows hard enough, it brings tumbleweed with it. When your town is nestled in a valley surrounded by rolling hills, the wind whips through in the early evening. You can set your watch by it. Now is a good time to pause the podcast and dive into your own free write. Give yourself 15 minutes, more if it's flowing, but no less. Keep the editor in your head silenced the critic shouting aspersions, bound and gagged. Then, come back as I share and reflect upon my free write. From my free write. In a small town nestled in the rolling hills, you can hear the coyotes bay at night and catch them at dawn in the streets. The wind whips through in the early evening. You can set your watch to it. But by 8 a.m., The sun is already simmering and vapor rises like steam from garden beds. The skunks were having a party last night, she says. Melinda is wearing sweatpants and a t-shirt that advertises a refreshment with a smile. Her hair is down, still tousled from sleep, and her face is soft, even with her nose scrunched up against the stink of their nocturnal visitors. He likes her like this, but not what brought them to this moment. Six months ago, she left for work before him in a skirt and blazer with a briefcase and a brisk wave as he stood at the top of the driveway to see her off. And the harsh morning sun lit her face so that it almost erased familiarity. I wish we could do something about them, he says. Where are you working today? He names the neighborhood overlooking the Pacific Ocean. It would be 20 degrees cooler there, but the moist winds drew the work out days, sometimes longer. Stucco needed to cure, and that salty sea air wasn't good for it. That'll be nice, she says. Make sure to stop for lunch. Sit down with a view and fresh air. She was trying to slow down and enjoy it, and sometimes he heard the pearl of resentment in her voice. Ben was good at clocking out at the end of the day, at raising his face to the sun and basking in the warmth. He was good at planning barbecues and weekends away, and never needed to dig for an excuse. She wanted to start yoga when she could. She thought that would help. And they sit out on the patio at dusk. The insect trap buzzed and snapped as the sun quickly set. I will, he promised. Thanks for the lunch. She started making his lunch this week. 
sandwiches and fruit and a single cookie. She loaded bottled water into his cooler. I'm going to the grocery store today, she says. The words tremble on her lips and he reaches for them, cupping his hand around her cheek, his fingers brushing her bottom lip. It'll be okay, she says. He slowed a nod. Weeks ago, she tried going to the post office. It was his mother's birthday and she ordered a blank throw blanket online, tucked a personal note into the package and made it as far as the lobby in the self-serve kiosk before growing lightheaded and dizzy. He'd mailed it the next day on his way to work. Maybe it's too soon, he says. I finished chemo a month ago, she says. I shouldn't have gone out before that. I really wanted it to be okay, and it wasn't, she shrugs. She has delicate shoulders, and a sleeve slips a little, bearing her collarbone. Sometimes when he leaves her work, he wonders if she'll die while he's gone, if she'll stagger down under the weight of the disease, take off her shoes, and lay down on the sofa, and if he'll find her hours later, and from a distance not know if she's here or gone. He's come home more than once to find her napping, unable to discern the rise and fall of her chest, to hear the soft escape of air from her lips. He started calling her on his way home. He tried to hide the fear under polite questions. Can I stop at the grocery store? How about takeout from Chick-fil-A? But she caught on. I'm not dying, she said. Not yet. And tried to laugh, but it was awkward with sharp angles, like knees and elbows unable to find a fit in a small confined space. And that just made him think about bodies and stillness and caskets. So please stop, she said. And he did. Call me when you get home, he says now. You call me at lunch, she returns. You can describe the ocean and I'll tell you what's for dinner. He nods, deal. She rolls to tiptoes and kisses him. It's a fluttery press of her lips against his, which he returns at half measure. She walks back into the house then and closes the door. He hears the tumbler fall into place. Another change. She was not one to lock doors or close windows, even at night. But disease brings many things, including fear. And emotions are messy. They don't stay inside the lines. Ben slides behind the wheel and starts the engine. The truck is 12 years old, but runs smoothly, and the chassis is still good. The weight of his work means replacing the tires sooner and having the engine tuned more often, and he's been good about both. He sits back and contemplates the house. A year ago, he had a river rock accents around the garage and below the windows, but the garden was wasting away. Melinda loves roses, and what the gophers didn't eat were roasting in the heat, the petals curling, the colors, yellow and coral, fading. He made a note to stop for rose feed on the way home to water what was left this evening. He puts the truck in reverse, backs out of the driveway, and is moving the shift into forward when he feels a rippling across his chest, something like the contracting of muscle. The breath flutters in his throat. He eases back against the seat and thinks, this is the breaking of my heart. It burns. It's like his lungs seized or filled with cement, and it spreads from there and from a burn to a bite, teeth that draw blood. Pain shoots from his chest to his shoulder and down his arm, where it pings sharply at his elbow. It's an explosion that's blinding, that releases his joints, and though he can't see it, he feels his foot slip from the brake and the truck roll forward. He hears the blaring of a horn and realizes his head has fallen to the steering wheel, and then nothing. End of free write. 
So the stucco workers showed up in the main character's profession and some elements of the setting, but not much else from my walk. I see the influence of my neighbors, though. For years, she's been declining, and he has been taking over more of the errands. On good days, she'll take the kitchen trash out, and I'll catch a glimpse of her. A tremor runs through her body. I notice her hand shake as she lifts the lid of the garbage can and then the plastic sack she wants to drop inside it. I run into him at the grocery store, in line for gas. They have grown quiet in their struggle, have pushed away overtures from the community, they're not an older couple, are in fact younger than me, and I sometimes think about how she might feel about the slow mutiny of her body, and more, how he feels about the gradual loss of everything. There's a story here from both point of views, but probably only pieces of this free write will show up in it. This exercise led me to the story rather than being it. Melinda and Ben will never make final copy because they are flat having only a limping pulse beneath some very thin skin. Maybe a novella will emerge out of the stillness rising up from the wind-whipped sheets of early evening or a subplot that could fit into the mystery framework as town, setting, and its characters always take breath in my books. While this free write isn't perfect, they never are. And this one is rife with author intrusion, lulls where their tempo needs to pick up, a dire need for external conflict. The words are on the page and they have led me to a treasure chest of possibility. If I choose to, there's a place to come back to, characters to toss and new ones to create and carry forward. What I have is the slow breaking of light, and so do you. What did you find in your free write? Did something from your week crop up in the form of a character or conflict? Is setting driving your story? Exploring the events, big and small, of our life experiences lead to all of that and more. Did you try to focus on a single memorable event and pull from the pieces a gem? Did you hit a brick wall? And if that's the case, did you climb over it by describing the people, the weather, the ball of angst you suspect was at the heart of an argument you overheard? Never stop during a free write, especially if you feel you have nothing. That's when you pull out your carabiners and quick draws, also known as determination and passion, Hold in your hand even a sliver of a scene you witnessed and begin describing it, building momentum, fanning life into it until it's breathing on its own. And that's you chasing the word.